Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Two miracles I was thinking of. One is with the woman, the woman with the issue of blood of 12 years. You read in the Gospels. Secondly was Jairus' daughter who was in need of healing. And I was briefly just reading over these miracles and what's pretty neat about it is the miracle of the woman with the issue of blood collides with the miracle of Jairus' daughter who's in need of healing. That Jesus was on the way to the household of Jairus. And as he was on the way, the crowd was pushing on Jesus. We know the story of the woman with the issue of blood. A touch of faith touches his garment. Jesus turns around and says, I felt power, leave me. And again, this is pushed right in the middle of Jesus en route to bring healing to Jairus' daughter. You know, I was thinking of this topic of where to put your faith when you're frustrated. Anybody frustrated? Maybe you've been frustrated. Where do you put your faith when you're frustrated? So this miracle is happening and I want you to just put yourself in the picture of, of Jarius. His daughter is dying and needs Jesus to make haste. Jesus could probably run, he'd be happy. He needs to get there. He is. I'm sure unpinned emotionally, not knowing if the time clock's going to run out. And here Jesus is um, now ministering to a woman who's had an issue for 12 years. And if you, again, put yourself in his position, maybe saying he would say, Jarius would say, Jesus, she's had this issue for 12 years. The immediate need is to get to my daughter. I'm frustrated at you right now. Can't you come back to this woman? She's been sick, she, she can wait. So this is happening in the middle of the miracle here. So Jesus arrives to the household, sees his daughter, and, and we know how the story ends, but they didn't. What happens, Jesus gets there and the servants come out holding the daughter saying she didn't make it, she's dead. What does Jesus do? He, comes up to her and he says, if you study out his response in a very gentle fatherly-like tone, he looks at her and there's even this detail in Luke's gospel account of the story. It says he grabs her hand, shows an intimacy, shows a loving kindness. He grabs this little girl's hand and he says, honey, wake up. And 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 the girl wakes up and she's healed. Here's what I want you to see through all of this, is you may be believing God for something all of us usually are. You may be thinking, God, I need you to act quicker, I need you to act now. But you've gotta trust his timing, you've gotta trust his pace, you've gotta trust what he's doing, where he's at, because your suffering, your frustration is connected to a bigger story, to a bigger picture. And many of us, we want instant, we want now, 
we get frustrated at Jesus when he isn't acting now. Why are you blessing them, caring for them, healing them, when you don't, do you even see the immediate need in my life? Where do you put your faith when you're frustrated? And as we hold the body and blood of Jesus this morning, let it be a reminder we put our faith in him. We stay close to him. Jesus says you gotta do this in remembrance because in our frustration, in our pain, in our suffering, we forget very quickly. We have short-term memory loss at times. If you bow your head, let's just go before the Lord and thank him that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, washes us, sets us free, redeems us, that it is the gift that keeps on giving. Grace empower us today by the body and blood of Jesus, what he accomplished for us, in us, through us, on the cross of Calvary. Father, we take this sacred moment. We look to you, we place our frustration. We put it to the side and we just focus on the eyes of a father who reaches out his hand and speaks truth speaks grace, speaks healing. Whatever your people have need of this morning as we behold the body and blood of Jesus, let it be nourishment, let it be life, let it be healing, let it be reconciliation, let it be grace and mercy transferred to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Forgive us of our sins. Renew us in your Holy Spirit. Awaken joy within us. We need that strength. We need that grace. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for making us new today. You take the bread, his body broken for you. Take of the new covenant, his blood shed for you this morning. Jesus, we surrender. As we open your word this morning, as we look at what the Bible says about transformation, God, we ask that you transform us. God, that you do a work in us today we look to Jesus, the author, perfecter, and the finisher. He's the one who brings the transformation. He's the one who makes it all come together, who makes it all possible. You've not left us alone. You've not left us orphaned. You've not left us guessing. God, strengthen our faith. Give us great faith this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said Amen. Man, well, you can be seated. Well, it's a lot colder this Sunday than it was last Sunday. Uh, amazing how, what one day, the change it can bring. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful as we get into this Christmas holiday season, uh, we're going to be taking about two, three more weeks uh, on this topic of what does the Bible say. And uh, I, I pray that all of these topics have blessed you, have ministered to you. 
uh, and have just added kind of layer upon layer, precept upon precept, very fundamental, very basic, but also very profound. Uh, when you're struggling, I usually say go back to the basics. What are you praying? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you filling your, your temple with? What are you allowing in your eye gates, your ear gates? Uh, usually the point of tension in a, of your struggle can be stopped somewhere in that circle or in that conversation. So this morning, you're choosing to open up your eye gates and your ear gates to receive faith, to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive um, the person of Jesus, his spirit today. And I thank you in a world that says church isn't a priority, in a world that says church is irrelevant, it's something that is dead old religion, um, you're here today, you're faithful uh, and you're here to receive from God. And I believe what you have need of is found in the place that you're planted. And uh, as you're planted today, I'm going to put a little sunshine, pour a little water, and believe in that uh, it can be a point of, of fruit. We have this hydrangea in the backyard. And uh, with the warm weather this week, there was one last little bloom of a blue hydrangea that came out. And Daniel walked to the back window, and all the other landscaping is dead, and there's just this one little bloom. And Daniel said, oh, there's blue. He just says the color, doesn't know what it is. And it's amazing when in a, in a wasteland or a dry season, when there's just one bloom, it gives you hope, and it gives you faith, and it stirs something up in you, especially when it's unexpected. He wasn't expecting that, but something caught his attention. So I, I pray that something that's said, something in the point of worship, communion, throughout the service, you catch something, it gives you hope, and you run with it, and you let it ignite something that God's doing in your life today. Eileen, your hair looks great today, by the way. There's, there's maybe a little bloom, I gotta say. <laughs> um, I know, I'm, I brownie points. Eileen worked so hard, did awesome, her and Lenita at the event, got a boost her up a little bit. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, 21 through 28, I want to look here at a gospel reading, and this is uh, the faith of a Gentile woman. We're going to look at her faith of how she went from just uh, really no faith to Jesus saying, you have great faith. We're going to see a transformation there. And then I want to look at two case studies, Luke chapter 18, and then Luke chapter 19. Um, and we're going to compare and contrast two different Bible stories uh, and really pull out what Luke is, is trying to teach us through the story of Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. But this is the faith of a Gentile woman. And before we read it, this can be one of the points of Scripture where um, if read blindly, if not understood fully and contextually, you could easily presume that Jesus is being a jerk. Jesus doesn't have good bedside manner here. Jesus is just not paying attention to this woman. And so understand we're talking of Jesus here. He's not a jerk. He has the greatest bedside manner of anyone. Uh, and this is the son of God and a miracle we're about to witness. So the scripture says in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, 
Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Talk about the love of a mother here, seeking out Jesus, trying to find Jesus. Um, and what we're going to see is he's, uh, Jesus is going to take something natural like motherly love and elevate it to a place of great faith. I want to make sure I, I say this, is that many a times we live in the natural with what we, what we know or, or what we can operate in or the knowledge that we have. But when you, have, when you encounter Jesus with what you have in the natural, how many of you know he can elevate it to something else, something of what you have need of for the moment you have need, it, need of it? So this is a good mom. This is a mom who has a tormented daughter and could you imagine living with a tormented daughter? Just put yourself in her shoes for a minute. She's ran out of every um, possibility, but she's found Jesus, and, and we're about to see the miracle God does here. And think of human love as well that, that she's operating in for her daughter. It can be pretty powerful, a mother's love. You've seen these videos of even moms where they, uh, in a moment of, of panic, in a moment of trauma, in a moment of just straight adrenaline and faith, seeing maybe a child, a car on top of a child, those videos of those moms picking up a, a car off of a child. So it's amazing what love, some Starbucks and a little adrenaline can do when you gotta operate it and you gotta use it. But we're about to see Jesus elevate to something far greater than love and adrenaline lifting off a child, a car off a child. So we see the issue here is that there is a tormented spirit plaguing her daughter and a mother trying to get this issue mitigated, trying to find healing and answers. So verse 23 says, but Jesus gave her no reply. Jesus is silent here. Not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Ah, those are some good disciples. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. 25, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children to throw it to the dogs. But she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Clever. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Can we say that together? Your faith is great. And her request was granted, and her daughter was healed instantly. Here's the big idea I want you to get in your spirit. Only the faith that is tested can become great. Only the faith that is tested can become great. I don't know what your circumstance is, where your trial is, where your suffering is, where your test is, but have faith that as Christians, we don't run from the test, we embrace the test because it's a faith that is tested is the only faith that can become great. Our gospel reading last week was Peter walking on water. Jesus tells Peter as he drowns and pulls him back up, he says, you have little faith. He tells this Gentile woman, you have great faith. Now, if it's me, her being persistent, 
versus Peter walking on water, I would say Peter had some pretty great faith, and this would just kind of be necessity, need, help kind of faith. But Jesus elevates the faith of this woman and tells Peter he has little faith. So understand that there's points in Scripture where you see declarations of faith, where Jesus, you're the Son of God when, when Peter comes to that realization. We see Martha in the Bible has a declaration of faith, these declarations of faith where they have these epiphanies, these enlightenment, these aha moments of he's the Son of God, he's powerful, he's real, he's touched, he's changed my life. But as you study this, this is something much deeper than a declaration. And if you're going to have mature faith and a faith that is tested, it accumulates into a demonstration of faith. See, many of us, we live in the camp of we declare, we decree. I'm not against that. That's where it has to start. But mature faith says you have to demonstrate faith. You have to walk in faith. You have to live in faith. And so we see here that this woman demonstrates faith by saying, Lord, help me. She's desperate. She's desperate. And in our case studies, we're going to see two different examples of one who is curious, where I think many of us find ourselves when it comes to faith. We get, we're curious of Jesus. We're not desperate for Jesus. And the difference of curiosity and desperation can be the answer to your prayer, can be the miracle coming, the breakthrough coming, your faith being released. And so we see four tests I want you to see through this story. Is number one, she calls out. If you're taking notes, you can write, she calls out. And she calls out for Jesus. But what was the response that she got? Silence. Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus didn't say a word. And in our journey of mature faith, that's where a lot of us stop. We pray something, we believe for something, we seek God, we come to church three times. We don't get the answer to our prayer, God's silent, so we think, we throw in the towel, we stop, because God's silent. If that doesn't, if you're able to persevere through that, number two is what happens, and this gets a little more relationally sticky, is she lives and deals in the midst of broken Christians who are not perfect. What happened after Jesus was silent? What did the disciples say? Get this begging woman out of here. The apostles, the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, gave this woman a church hurt before she ever came to church, right? They offended her before she ever walked through the door. And I think this is a lot of people's example of the church. Before they ever come to church, before they ever experience Jesus, their life's ever touched or changed, they experience a disciple, a follower, who sees an inconvenience, who sees someone who can't help them, who represents Jesus in a way that he, of, of who he isn't. And so she deals with these disciples saying, get this begging woman out of here. But she persisted through that. Number three, what we see here is God says no in the moment to her most deep, profound need. Imagine bringing the most deepest, the most um, emotional, the most um, 
dreadful, the most scary, and being so vulnerable with your deepest need, which was her tormented daughter, bringing that need. We're not talking she's believing for a raise. She's believing God to provide a meal. Those, those things are important, but she's bringing who she is. She's bringing everything that is important to her. And in the moment, what she feels she gets is a no from God, from the Son of God, from Jesus. So she hears a no. And then number four, she's got to persist and have faith to believe that does God even care? See, this is where Christians can get in a dark hole. Does God even care for my needs? Is he active in my need? Is he moving? Is he here? Or am I all left alone in my pit without a way to get out? And I'm just going to fake it till I make it or faith it till I make it. That's not the heart and character of God. And see, what, what happens in the moments of light in our life? They have to translate into the dark. Real faith just isn't on Sunday or on the stage or when everyone's watching. It's in the dark moments of when you're desperate. And are you going to have faith? And are you going to persist? And are you going to push through? And I'm telling you, if you want to have great faith, it has to be tested. And her faith was tested here. And out of her test, she passed. And God answered her prayer. And here's the big question I, I want to ask you this morning, and you have to ask yourself as I ask myself. Does the faith I profess make any difference in my life? Does the faith I have in Jesus make any difference in my life? Does my life look any different from somebody who doesn't have faith? Has it caused me to live differently? Has it caused me to act differently? Has it caused me to believe differently? We talked of last week, many of us know people, or maybe it's season of our life as we've been as though a practical atheist where we believe God, but we sure don't live or act like God can do and can move, can set free can demonstrate his love, grace, and power. God's all about getting it in us, but that's just 50%. He's got to get it through us in order for it to be real tangible and to know that your God is powerful, is sovereign, and is providential in any and every season. So this woman in her desperation persists through the silence of God, persists through the brokenness of leaders or of the church or of hurt relationships, she persists even if God, what she was thinking, was saying no. And she persists and pushes through the lie that God does not care. And I'm here to encourage somebody today, you need to persist. You need to push. You need to keep praying until something happens. You don't need to give up. You've got to keep moving forward in your faith. And this is not happy clappy. This is not pie in the sky stuff. This is real life situations, real life moments of you've got to have faith. And better yet, I don't want to come to the end of my life at the judgment seat and just wonder for 80 years if I'm blessed to live that long, did I even get to the place of having great faith? I believe that God wants each and every one of us to walk in great faith, not average faith, not faith that is just petty, not faith that is just enough to get me through. He wants you to have great faith like this woman. And again, this isn't word of faith kind of stuff. This isn't faith that says you're going to have good, better, best all the time. This is faith that touches and pleases the heart of God. This is the faith we're talking of today, the faith of the confession of who we believe Jesus is 
in how he acts in our life. Many times faith can be reduced to a utility. Just like you go to your thermostat and you turn it on. Okay, that's faith. Faith is not just a simple utility. Faith is a relationship and a person, and that person is Jesus. But many times faith gets reduced to a utility. Something I push when I need it. It's something I believe for when I need it versus this energy and this um, this relationship that I'm to walk in and I'm to have with Jesus. So we see she passes this test and faith, her faith gets matured and Jesus encourages, encourages her and says she has great faith. You know, Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat where Peter walked on water. So they had faith in Jesus to get in the, in the boat. That created movement. But then it also, when Jesus called Peter out of the boat, that faith required movement as well. And a way to know that you're operating in faith is are you moving? Are you going? Are you doing? Are you operating? Or are you just sitting still waiting for God to come and do a miracle? See, every apostle and every disciple Jesus called, they were in the middle of fishing. They were in the middle of their busyness, their everyday life. So stop sitting on the sideline waiting for God to come and pick you and choose you and call you. Keep moving, keep doing, and watch as he breaks into that world, breaks into your productivity, breaks into your busyness, breaks into your schedule, and does something supernatural, does something that you didn't expect or that you didn't pencil in on your calendar. So faith leads to movement, this transformation of faith. And she grew simply not just in proclamation is we need to understand we don't just proclaim but we participate in faith we just don't grow in our declaration but our demonstration and we just don't grow in conviction but we grow in our contribution many of us we live in the place of i just proclaim i just declare and i'm just convicted when great faith mature faith goes to the place of i'm participating i'm demonstrating and i'm contributing right? That if you're constantly just being served, think of at your family dinner tables or your, your holiday meals coming up. Usually everyone has their role in their spot. Someone's cooking, someone's preparing, someone's bringing the desserts, the drinks, that in a family environment, everyone's got their place, everyone's got their role. Now, if there's that consistent family member every year who does nothing right? They don't have their role. They don't contribute. They're really not acting as family. They're acting more as a guest who everyone is serving. And see, if that family member is getting insecure or why am I not as tight-knit in, in this family dynamic, whatever the thoughts may be, they can go in front of a mirror and declare, I am valuable in this family. I have a place in this family. God loves me, you know, encourage themselves. But if they would just contribute in the family. See, family language is contribution, working together, serving together. That if you contribute, you're not going to feel like a guest. You're going to feel a part of the family. Faith always has contribution to it. And I pray this is helping someone just get out of a rut and get out of uh, a place that you've been in because he's wanting to get movement to your faith. And he's wanting to get you to great faith. So I want to look at, at two points of transformation. We see this woman, this 
gospel story of her going from just, faith, just human love for her daughter to great faith. Now I want to look at Luke chapter 18 and 19. I'm not going to read it. You know the stories, but I want to pull principle and truth from it. And I encourage you to read it this week. And I really want to, you can headline this as, are you going for transformation or alterations? Are you going for transformation or an alteration? Anybody like HGTV, Chip and Joanna Gaines, Fixer Upper, maybe you've done your own Fixer Upper. I, I see a few heads. Um, we actually did a Fixer Upper this year. Believe it or not, we've actually moved five times this year. If you weren't praying for us, I pray you were praying for us because it's a miracle um, we're still here. In the last year and six months, we've moved five times with two kids and a pregnant wife. We uh, were telling somebody this uh, at a house we were closing on, and they looked. He, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, uh, yeah, we'd probably be divorced if that was us. So if you've ever moved, let alone with kids, let alone pregnant, let alone five times in 16 months, it takes great faith, okay? Um, so in the world of, of fixer-uppers and uh, the show, what are the shows? Flip or flop. Uh, we recently watched one this year called uh, No Demo Reno, where they go in and they don't tear walls down and save on budget. We really like that one. Um, there's Property Brothers. You name it, there's what a, a variance to all these ways people fix and, and transform homes. And as I've watched all these shows through the years, there's really two kinds of people. There's the people who want just an alteration they're bored, they want a fresh color of paint, they want something to pop, and they just kind of want someone to come in and decorate it or, and not really get into anything structural, just more the cosmetic side of things. So they kind of live in that camp. Then you get into the shows who, um, they want the big changes. They need an extra bedroom. They need the structural uh, repairs. They need uh, the professionals and the engineers to come in to make the dream become a, re a reality. I would consider that a transformation, that they want, when you walk into that house or when you see the outside of that house, it's not gonna look the same, it's not gonna feel the same, that everything about that design and that floor plan is gonna be completely transformed. Just on a cosmetic, some paint, some touch-up, um, some new decorations. And see, I believe one of the large barriers to us being transformed is we go to God for an alteration, not a transformation. We go for God to just fix a few things in our life, change up some paint in our lives, versus many of the things that God wants to deal with, he wants to touch, he wants to see transformation. And it, it takes a cost. It takes uh, some structural change. It takes getting the professionals involved to get you to the place that God wants to get you to. He doesn't want you to look the same as you did last year. What are we, less than two months till um, 2023? How's your New Year's resolutions going? Usually when you look at them about this year, you're like, yep, number one, number two, maybe, but three, four, five, six, seven, I'm struggling on, not getting there. But he wants to see transformation. And the people that want the transformation are usually desperate. There was this other... HGTV show, I forget the name of it, but pretty much they tried to tackle the renovation on their own. They're excited at the beginning, they got a budget, 
Then they start ripping walls down. They encounter issues that they didn't know were in the ceilings or in the floors, and it's well beyond their skill set. And it's just like this dark cloud comes upon them, and they have no idea where to go, how to move forward, and how to get to the said goal of the transformation they want. So essentially, they come to a complete stop, and they they got to bring in the professionals to, to finish the job. Now, they've been invested for about a year, a year and a half on, on the project that they've done. And usually what you see in these type of where these professionals come in midway is they have to sit down and they have to sign a contract saying, you are releasing all authority, essentially, all of your decision-making process over to us to finish it. And you're going to go away. Remember Extreme Makeover? They'd send you to Disney World for a week while you're getting a brand new house in seven days. It was awesome. Um, you know, you're going to go away and have no participation in this process. And I always think about that as much as they've already invested their time, their energy, their life. They've lived in a, out of boxes in, in a mess. And now they have to sign over all the rights for somebody else to come in and trust their vision, trust their plan, and trust their purpose of what they want the house to look like. That can be tough. And I think many of us live in the space of transformation when Jesus touches things, we're so clinging tight to how we want it or how we think it's gonna happen that we can never the grip. And so what do we settle for? We settle for an alteration. We just painted ourselves, we buy a couple of new throw pillows, we add some sconces, some window treatments, get a little bit of a change at a low cost. But we really don't go for the transformation. And in the subject of great faith, it takes transformation consistently in our lives. And allowing these, see, there's been so many times through just the process of life, and you don't have to run after them, they usually find you. But there's usually pop quizzes that you'll find yourself in. Like, oh, I feel like I'm being tested. Oh my gosh, I'm being tested right now. I need to make the right decision. I didn't find it, I didn't look for it, I didn't go for it, but it's a moment to say, you know what, I'm gonna exercise faith, I'm going to trust in God and trust him in this process, in this season, and in this moment. And so as you're in this process of your faith being tested so that it can't become great, you're gonna see these pop quizzes come up in your life. Don't run from them, don't be scared from them. Sometimes I really like pop quizzes because like, yes, I'm ready, I'm prepared other times. I fell asleep the last three days in class. I have no idea. This is going to be uh, all of the above circles on the pop quiz. Well, I think we've all been there at some point. But we see in Luke chapter uh, 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus. And to sum it all up, Zacchaeus was a bad man who wanted to see Jesus. And in Luke chapter 18, we see a rich young man who was a good man who wanted to see Jesus but we see their encounters completely different. We see the responses completely different. We see the outcomes completely different. And right off the bat, you would think, well, the good man who sees Jesus is probably gonna get the blessing, get the reward, get to truth, versus the bad man who wants to see Jesus is gonna continue to fail and make poor choices. But we really see the opposite take place here. Looking at Luke chapter 18 first, you know the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he's kind of asking a question, probably got his shoulders back, a little prideful, knows that he's blessed, knows, knows that he has made good decisions in his life. He's obeying 
the commandments. Uh, to bring it to today, you could say he's the good church kid, right? He's grown up in church his whole life, been around the things of God, um, has seen God move in, in generations past. And here he goes to Jesus, not out of desperation, but out of curiosity. And see, there's two distinctive differences. When you go to Jesus out of curiosity and out of desperation, curiosity isn't bad, but you gotta see the outcome here. So he goes to Jesus, and I'm, I read out of Luke's, it says that is he, Luke's gospel, and even in Matthew's gospel, it adds one other detail if you go and read it. It says, when Jesus looked at him, he loved him. So this is a loving Jesus here. This is as he always is. And as he asked the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus encourages him. He says, you've been obeying, you know, the commandments. You've been doing good. You're good. But then he gets to the, the issue and the point and really touches what he's gripping onto and doesn't want to let go. He says, if you want to inherit eternal life, sell all you have and give it to the poor. What's his response? It says that, after Jesus said this to him, he walked away sad. You study out the word sad, it would go to the word grief. You get into the Greek, it would actually get to the point of he was devastated. That he had to walk away, or that he chose to walk away and not sell all he had. Now, was Jesus attacking riches here? Not in the way we would think of it. He was, he was going after what he was attached to, what he was clinging to because that was the idol in his life. So he's touching this point. He walks away devastated out of his curiosity. You then take the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming into town. As Jesus is walking into town, there's crowds following him, which were always pretty normal and a usual thing. Zacchaeus is up in a tree by himself, a sycamore tree, this wee little man, you know, the, the children's song. Um, he's up in a sycamore tree because he's short. He's a tax collector. He's actually a vicious tax collector who's devastated a lot of people's lives, who's ruined a lot of families, if you actually look at, at his sin and, and what he did to people. is a vicious tax collector. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree. Jesus and the crowd is approaching and what's so amazing is one little detail here is, is if you read it, he says that, uh, the scripture says that Jesus called him by name. He had never met Zacchaeus. So he looks at this vicious tax collector who nobody wants anything to do with, no one can stand, and he says, come down. I'm having dinner in your home uh, tonight. And this encounter begins between him and Zacchaeus. Now, if you look at this, a man of his stature, of his financial wealth, of his lifestyle, would never shame himself to climb a tree to see somebody and would never put himself all of the Middle Eastern understandings of a shame and honor culture. And a lot of what Zacchaeus was doing here would be considered shameful for a man of his stature. So he is at the point of desperation. He, what, he has understood what he has done. He has come to the end of his rope and he is tired of the shame, the condemnation, the um, being in exile, um, I'm sure, the pain of what he's caused 
and is ready to make a change. That's why he's looking for Jesus, because he's heard of this man, and maybe he can, maybe he will deal with me when nobody else will because of what I've done, because of the shame that I've caused. So we see the rich young ruler, curiosity, a good guy. He turns away. We see Zacchaeus, a bad guy, meets Jesus, but his life changes. We're going to see the difference of curiosity in the rich young ruler who wanted an alteration in his life, wanted just a little something else, wanted to be affirmed that he's doing what is good and what is right, versus a man who knows he is lost, who knows he needs transformation, who knows he needs an encounter with Jesus. You know, and um, I was reading very quickly, but in the paramedic um, really when a paramedic arrives on the scene and they uh, take the, the, the scene or the, the point of trauma or the person, they have to really approach this person and see if they're alert and oriented. And there's really four different ways that, four different steps to see the point of alertness and ori- orientation of the person who is in need of, of care and, and help. Number one you will see in this process is they'll ask for their name. Say their name. Are they um, coherent enough to, to give off their name? If they can say their name, then they'll go to the place of, um, do you know what the date is? Do you know the time? Can you, do you know who the president is? You've probably seen that and, and, and heard that. If they can recite the time and the date and who the president is, then they'll say, well, where are you? Do you know where you are? Do you know where the incident, where the accident happened. And if they can do that, they'll stop at number four and say, um, uh, do you know how you got there? Can you recall when the incident happened and, and work your way backwards to how you got there? And they'll try to assess the situation and bring them to alertness and orientation. And if you take this, you can actually see where through the, the process of Zacchaeus is that his name was given the time of where they were meeting was given, uh, where are you, and how did you get here? This whole ordeal of between Zacchaeus and Jesus, you know, and you read the gospel story. And I found this interesting as I, as I was studying this, is that Jesus is bringing Zacchaeus, alerting him to where he is and who he is and what's happened. Zacchaeus is also very aware, but then he's orienting him, he's bringing him to reality because Jesus has to bring us to reality in order to change our reality. He doesn't change your facade. He doesn't change your, your filter. He doesn't change your, our fakeness and our hypocrisy. He brings us to reality, and then he transforms us. But many of us in this testing, we don't allow Jesus to bring us to reality. Again, we go to the alteration because it's easier just to put the filter or the paint on it versus allow him to see us for who we truly are and this is what Zacchaeus is doing, and this is why his life would be forever changed. So this encounter happens, and he comes to the reality that his possessions, unlike the rich young ruler, mean nothing. That he knew he gained his possession by one compromise after another. He deceived, he manipulated, he was a charlatan. He did everything to possess his wealth and possess his prestige. Um, by stealing, lying, and cheating. I mean, you see this, and it's, it's so sad. In the world we live in today, you see in fact, plus four times. 
So what Zacchaeus is communicating here is he realizes he was the villain. He realizes how lost he was. And he realizes he was giving back something that caused devastation to families, devastation because of his choices, because of how he attained his wealth. He took something that was irreplaceable to people. But here's the amazing part. He knew that there was hope for him. As bad as he was, there was hope for him because he was willing to listen to Jesus, because he was willing to undergo transformation. You actually look at church history, Zacchaeus would actually become a bishop in the early church. That's how changed he was. That's how dedicated. And out of his desperation, look at the change that it brought. And again, I'm here to tell somebody today, stop going after the alteration that Jesus can do, the little self-help that he can bring, the little modifications he can bring just to keep you afloat just enough and go with a desperate spirit and a desperate heart and say, transform me, change me, change my family, change our story, change this anxiety, change this depression, change this uh, manipulative spirit, change this narcissism. We need a transformation. Our nation needs a transformation. Our churches need a transformation, but we just keep putting Band-Aids on all of these things and never getting to the root to see the real transformation changed. Zacchaeus allowed Jesus to get to the root. He released his security. He released his performance. The rich young ruler would not release his security. He would not release his performance because security is found in scarcity. And when things get scarce, margins get thin, we cling. And so the rich young ruler had to cling to who he was and the prestige that he had amounted and created. And I love this, Luke 19, verse 6. We talked of joy last week. This is the mark of a true transformation. It says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. And look what his spirit was. It was with great excitement and joy. So when Jesus began this process of transformation, it wasn't dread, doom, and gloom that Jesus is gonna take something from me, but he was ready to run with Jesus with excitement and with great joy. And this is the hope I want you to have, is sometimes we feel if I choose Jesus in this situation, if I choose integrity, if I choose character, whatever it may be, if I choose to go the second mile, stay on the high road, that it's gonna be doom and gloom, not excitement and joy. Zacchaeus experienced excitement and joy in a life change. And I believe the same story can be for you. You just gotta stop putting alterations and paint and decor over the facade and the fragility and the vulnerability, but get real with God, confess your sin, and watch how the Holy Spirit can take the real you, the true you, and do a work that you never thought was possible. I don't care if you're 30, I don't care if you're 40, whatever your age, he's always working, he's always doing. You see, Zacchaeus would have been, uh, uh, the rich young ruler would be young, but Zacchaeus would be an older man, late in life, late to the game, made a lot of mistakes, had a lot to account for, but he didn't allow his pride to keep him from climbing up that sycamore tree and for, him to expose himself and also 
to say, I'm going to give back four times what I've taken and make right what I've wronged. So joy is a sign of a mark of a true conversion. But let's not stop there. Look what else happened. His attitude changed. What he put, what he put his money toward changed. His time changed. I'm sure his friendships changed. Everything in his life began to change. When he transforms you, again, we go back to our, our woman with great faith. Demonstration, contribution, participation. It just doesn't stay in here or in here, it comes out here. Because the enemy wants to block you and stop you, keep you caught up, keep you double-minded, keep you just in this spirit of altering things in your life versus allowing the joy and the excitement of a transformed life taking place in your story, in your children's story, and in your legacy and your family's story. So his conversion was genuine. Are you desperate? Are you just curious? Do you come to church just curious? Do you live life just kind of curious about Jesus versus desperate to go after the things of God? I'm trying to help you this morning to get you over a threshold. I've experienced this for myself. I know what I'm talking about. And I know the ability that the enemy has if you don't take your authority, if you don't operate in faith, he will distract you, he will put you to sleep, and he will keep you uh, where you're not demonstrating, not participating, and you're not contributing. If you'd stand, I wanna pray for you today. I wanna go back to our big question. Is the faith, you, is the faith that you are professing bringing any change in your life? Now, you can take that big picture, and I think we would all say yes, but let's get micro and look at the different parts of our lives, our family, our work, our relationships, our friendships, our free time. Stepping on some toes, what if we were to take a screenshot of your Netflix history, your browser history, all of these private areas of your life, would they look any different with the faith you profess than how everybody else looks? And again, this isn't a legalistic thing. This is to say faith by its very nature, by the way it works, is it should change you, it should sanctify you, it should set you apart, and there should be something different about our lives. But we live in a world that has so watered it down where we look like everyone, we talk like everyone, we watch what everybody else watches, we listen to what everyone else listens. And there's not a mark of the activity, of the demonstration of the contribution because we just kind of blend in, we just kind of exist. And if we're gonna see this transformation happen publicly, not just privately, these are the signs and the fruits that begin to change and begin to happen. Jesus, we come before you right now. We just bow our heads and open up our hearts in reverence to you. We thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Your spirit is here today. And you wanna free us from the lies. You wanna free us from curiosity that never leads to transformation. 
God, I, I pray that you would just create a highway to your, the transformative work that you want to do, that you would teach us to renew our minds more deeply because Romans teaches us that's where transformation comes from, the renewing of our minds. God, change how we think. We thank you that we've experienced your goodness. We obey your commandments. But when you touch the place that we're clinging to, let us have open hands, open hearts. Let us be willing to trust you as Zacchaeus did, that we come down from that tree and we experience the excitement and the joy of having faith in your process, of trusting in your timing, in your end goal, in the place you're taking us to. God, I pray for those that are here and they're on the cusp of a breakthrough, that they're persistent, they're seeking you, they're desperate, they're demonstrating their faith, they're walking it out every day. God, I thank you for those seeds of faith that have been planted. I pray today in your presence, you would water it, that life would come forth, that abundance would overflow, not just for us, but for our friends and for our family, that we can be a blessing to those around us. We can demonstrate the good news of Jesus, signs, wonders, miracles, that our faith small as a mustard seed, it can move mountains. We know there's power in our faith, and our faith in a relationship with Jesus changes everything. So God, I thank you for what you're gonna do for the seeds that have been planted, for the testing that is happening, that they would be encouraged, and we would see, we would know we would not grow weary in the silence. We would not believe the lie that you don't care. We would push through the brokenness of those around us telling us the wrong things, gossiping about the wrong, whatever it is, the brokenness of people. Let us not get caught up in that sphere. But let us look to you, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.